As we were singing that song, I just really felt like you can leave that right there. I'll just I'll use this. You can take this. We're making this up as we go along here today. Um, but I just really felt like that this was the spot where we should uh, we should just go to God's word. And so, um, you know, we've been in this bless you series. This is not going to come up. We've been in this bless you series for a couple weeks now to start this uh, this new year. That's not going to happen. So we're just going to stay low. But uh, we've been in this bless you series, and over the last three three weeks or so, we've talked about what it means to be blessed by God and how to live in the blessings of God. And uh, the first week we talked just out of like Genesis chapter one. Um, we talked about what what God initiated with mankind. We talked about the fact that God initiated this blessing covenant relationship with Adam and Eve before they could do anything to deserve it, before they could do anything to earn it. They hadn't done anything to like, you know, be good enough so that God would go, wow, those are good people. I'm going to bless them. He just created man and woman and it says, and then he blessed them. And so for you and I, we were attempting to say, okay, as I go out to live in this new year, 2013, you know, this is the week, that first week of the year, this is the week I'm making, you know, New Year's resolutions. And hopefully, you know, some of you have kept some of those now 20 days into the year. I know that's difficult, 20 days to keep those resolutions, but maybe we have. But we said, hey, in in light of what culture tells us about keeping resolutions and working harder and trying to do better and, you know, spend less and save more and eat less and exercise more and all these things that we're trying to do, um, we just need to know that God blesses us and he's the one that initiates it. He starts it and he preempts anything that we do with his blessing. And so then last week, we celebrated our first anniversary as a campus here in Cherokee County. And Pastor Mark and I went to Genesis chapter 12, and we looked at the story of Abraham, or at that point, Abram. And we looked at the idea that, that God called him out of his comfort, and he called him out of the land that he lived. And he, he said, hey, I'm going to make you a great people, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. My blessing is not just for you. It's through you for the sake of other people. And we committed ourselves to say, hey, I want to be this disrupted blessing. I want my life to be about, you know, not just what I'm desiring to do and what I'm attempting to do and the story that I'm writing for myself, but I want to allow God to work through me to bless other people. And so today, as we get into this, I want you to know that we're continuing on that theme, but we understand that if we are to be a people that lives in this blessed covenant relationship with God, that there are going to be things and people and and, and mindsets and and the enemy that's going to try to steal that blessing from us, to try to steal um, the the great things that God has has given to us and and intends for us. And so today we're going to have, you know, out of Genesis chapter 15, we're going to continue with the story of of Abram. And we're going to look at this idea that there are things that will war against covenant. And so if you got your Bibles, we're going to read a ton from Genesis 15. And and I don't apologize for that at all. I'm going to go to a, a taller um, music stand here because that one is annoying. All right, so Genesis 15, if you've got your Bibles, we're reading in verse 1. It says this, after this, after what? So let's pause. I'm not going to do this the whole time, but after this, after what? After Genesis 14, right? That's exactly what the writer meant. No, I'm just kidding. But at the end of Genesis 14, what had happened? Abraham had just helped to bring his nephew Lot out of captivity 
And then in response to all that God was doing, he gave a tithe. He gave a blessing to the king that had come and, and, and kind of engaged him there. And Abraham said something. Abram said something at the very end of Genesis 14 that's really, really key for us. He said, the, the king said, hey, why don't you give me um, the people and you keep all the spoils for yourself? Because Abram was giving him the, the spoils. He was giving him a tithe of all that, that he had gotten. And he said, no, I don't want to do that because I don't want it to ever be said that you made me rich. I understand that I'm giving this to you as an acknowledgement that God is the one who gives provision. God is the one who gives that. So keep that in mind when we read this. After this, after that, after what Abram just said, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And, and, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him, The man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up into the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? All right? I want us to run back through all those slides, all those scriptures very quickly, and point out a couple things that will be bolded and underlined, and Brian's already on it. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. This is God speaking. I am your shield, your very great reward. So keep in mind that as God is speaking to Abram, he is setting himself up as the great reward, the shield, the one who is the protector of what he's about to say to Abram. Now, you hear what God's saying. Now, hear exactly what Abram thinks he's talking about. Verse 2, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Now, in chapter 14, Abram had just said to this king, I don't want it to be said that anybody makes me rich. I understand that God is my provider, right? But here, Abram's questioning that. He says, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, he's now talking to God again and kind of getting on God about what he's lacking. He said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. This is what God's saying. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. That's what God is saying to him. He took him outside and said, look up in the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abram said, Abram believed the Lord. It was credited him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord. He's reminding Abram who he is talking to. I am the Lord who brought you out. I'm reminding you not only who I am, but what I've done for you. I brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. The land there is a part of the original covenant in Genesis 12. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? See, verses 1 through 4 really are Abram wrestling with the covenant that he had received. I don't even know how to work those. He is wrestling with the covenant that he already received a couple chapters before in Genesis chapter 12. I mean, we, we see in Genesis 12, which we referenced last week, and we see here in Genesis 15 that God is just, he's intending to make a covenant with Abram. And Abram here is, he's like you and I. He is committed to this. He wants it. He's like, hey, I'm in, except that it doesn't always make sense in his head. And so he begins to kind of try to make it happen on his own. So God is assuring Abram here, listen, I am the Lord. 
Verse 1, I am your shield and I'm your great reward, right? And and so Abram in verses 1 through 4 is talking about a child. Why? Because in Genesis 12, God had said to him, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. What do you need to make a great nation? What do you need to start that? You need children. And Abram and Sarah, his wife, did not have any kids. And so Abram is looking at the facts, the details of his life and trying to say, okay, if God is promising X and and my life equals Y, X does not equal Y. God's saying, you know, you're going to be a great nation. I have no kids and I'm an old man. This cannot happen. Right. And so Genesis 15, it's like God saying, hey, we're we're entering into covenant. I'm in. And and so Moses in chapter, I mean, sorry, Abraham in in verse 6 here says, hey, I believe. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It says that, you know, God is saying you're righteous because of your righteousness through me because of your belief. Now, if you skip ahead and you look, there's like this hopscotch of, of Abram believing God. Verse chapter 15, it says he believes, right? Chapter 16, he and Sarah get, you know, antsy about what's happening here and the lack that it's not being fulfilled. And so Sarah gives Abram Hagar, her handmaiden, so that they can jumpstart the process of him having a child that will begin the nation, right? So he quits believing, I guess. Is quits? I don't know if that's a word. Chapter 17, Now we go into circumcision. Hello, that's what we're preaching about today. We're talking about circumcision. And this makes everybody in the room, well, half of us uncomfortable. And chapter 17 is Abram saying, hey, I believe. I'm in. I'm in on the covenant. Let's go. Me and all my children and all my people, we're in. Circumcision, we believe. Right? And then 18, we, like there's this, you just keep moving through the story. And if you, ch- if you track with this, like there's this unbelief that happens the whole time. And so right here, we see God lay out this incredible thing. And Abram in verse 8 says, how can I know? How can I know that I'm going to gain possession of what you say? Like, how can I really know? I mean, you and I, sometimes we struggle with those kind of questions. God, I believe you. I mean, we're singing these songs. We're lifting our hands. God, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my life. Except that what I'm trusting you for doesn't match what I see with my eyes. I'm trusting you and believing that what I know to be true is true. But there are some things going on around me that I just cannot mesh with what I'm holding out to be true. With what I'm saying, I trust you and believe. And I think that part of our problem is the same problem that Abram had here. We are too zoomed in and focused on one specific detail of the story rather than zooming out and trying to gain a proper perspective of what it is that God is doing. Verses one through four, Abram's saying, I don't have a child. He's talking about one specific son that can start this lineage, this heritage, this legacy, this nation that God has has foretold here. God is actually saying, look at the stars. I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about so many that you can't even count. Like you're focused on one part of the detail of your life that you can't connect the dots to. And I'm saying, I've got that. Let's be in covenant relationship together and you leave the details to me. Like I'm saying that you you can't figure this one part out. And I'm saying I've got it all written out. Our covenant, our relationship can be seen if I zoom out of one instance in my life, one detail. I'm not saying it's unimportant. But I am saying that if I get so focused on the one piece of the puzzle that I just cannot fit in that place, 
That I'm going to get stuck and I'm going to think that because I can't make sense of this, that none of it matters. None of it makes sense. None of it's going to come to pass. When really, if I were to zoom out and I were to just kind of go, okay, I, I see. There's bigger things going on here. It's not just about how am I going to have one son. It's that God has promised that there's going to be an entire nation born through me. We see that God is intent. I mean, he has decided he is going to make a covenant here with Abram. And I want us to look at what we talked about before, about covenant blessing, covenant relationship, because it really does set up the remainder of our time, okay? So God's covenant blessing with Abram is fleshed out in four ways. It's the same four ways that we saw that he fleshed out his blessing with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. First is relationship with God. God says to Abram, hey, you can have relationship with me. And in Genesis 15, 1, he says, I am your reward. I'm your shield. I'm a part of your story. We can be in relationship with one another. You're not on, you're not on your own in all this. It's me and you together in this relationship with God. That's what he promised to Adam and Eve. It's what he provided to them. It says he came and walked in the cool of the day in the garden with them. There's relationship there. The second thing is purpose, Right? God said to Abram in Genesis 12 and 2, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. There's a divine purpose in God's covenant relationship with Abram. He's saying, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless others through you. That's your purpose. The third thing is that he gave the provision to make it happen. We saw in Genesis 12 and 7, if you, if you had your, your Bibles there, he says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm not just going to give you a nation and you're going to be these nomadic roaming people forever. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to provide to you what you need for your people to be established as a a nation. And so he provides for them. That's what he did for Adam and Eve when he gave them the ground to work in the earth. And he says, hey, you have a purpose and you have the provision. I'm going to give you every seed bearing plant in the world so that you have what you need to eat. The last thing that he gave them was people. He gave it to Adam when he created Eve, and he says to Abram, listen, I am giving to you offspring that will outnumber the stars in the sky. There is a people connected to the blessing, the covenant relationship that you and I have. And God keeps his word. Now, we've talked a lot about covenant, so let's define covenant real quick, okay? Because covenant's going to kind of weave its way through all of our time today. Covenant can be defined as a solemn agreement that is binding on all parties. So if it's two people making a covenant, it, both parties are bound to that covenant relationship, covenant agreement. If there's four or five or six, they're all bound to this covenant relationship together. So we, we started with Genesis 15 and we read through the first few verses together. I want us to jump towards the end of the story. We're going to begin in verse 9. We're going to read a couple verses and then we'll jump ahead and I'll, I'll tell you where we're going. Verse 9 of Genesis 15. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Verse 17, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
Now, there's a lot going on right there, okay? We're going to break that down a little bit. But just know this. How would you like to hear from God? You're going to be mistreated. Bad things are going to happen to you. And then thankfully, he switches it and says, but listen, when you get out on the other side of this, you're going to be better because of it. Like, wouldn't you and I love to hear that sometimes before we enter into, you know, what seems like 400 years of enslavement and darkness and and we're uh, separated from God and God kind of lays out the plan and it's going to be foretold. The 400 years happen. Just a little while later in Scripture, we see, and a, a, a lot of the early part of the Old Testament is about this, this captivity that comes to the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, and they are in captivity, and they are mistreated. And then we see that they're brought out of that, just like God talks about here. And we see that He says, hey, listen, there, this, is, this is the plan, and this is what's going to happen, but trust me, verse 13 started, you can know for sure Like what I'm telling you, even though the first part of this is not great news for you, probably you can know for sure that it's going to come to pass just like I'm telling you it's going to happen. So hang with me through the story. I mean, this is the voice of God speaking to Abram here and, and the voice of Jeremy speaking to you. Just hang with the story. Even if you can't make sense of all the details, don't give up and know that a better day is coming. So the 400 years happen. And then we see this image of the fire pot and the blazing torch. Now, this is best understood when you understand a little more the idea of covenant. This is not going to be on the screen, but the Hebrew word for covenant is barith. It's the idea. It literally means to like to cut. And so we see here God saying to Abram, hey, I want you to cut these animals that you have, cut them in half, spread them apart. Right. And then later in the story, we see the, the smoking pot and the fire torch go through in between the two pieces. All right, you're getting a history lesson here. The Assyrian texts of that day and the Hittite texts, and we even see it in Jeremiah chapter 34 of the Old Testament. We understand that when there's a covenant, Richard, run here, run, 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 hurry, fast. Richard didn't know I was going to do this. If Richard and I are making a covenant, it's going to be like, hey, you know, in two years from now, I'm going to give you a large sum of money. Now, large for me means I'm going to give you $4 two years from now, okay? So we're making a covenant together. So here's what I need to do. I want you to go out and get a cow and a ram and something else, and I want you to cut it in half, and I want you to split it apart. And then when they do that, they would split it apart, and then this is the split apart. You and I, in agreement that we're making this covenant, this to cut thing, we're going to walk through in between the two cut parts of these animals. We walk together. We get on the other side. We join hands together. We shake hands, right? That was awkward. That's okay. We shake hands together, and we say, literally, Our covenant here between us and any of the witnesses that are standing here is that if we don't keep the agreement that we just agreed upon right there, that it would be better for me to be cut in half, to be no more, to not exist any longer for the life of me to be drained out if I don't give you four dollars in two years. Right. And don't hold me to that because there were no animals there. Thank you, Richard. So here's the idea. Covenant relationship, covenant blessing, covenant here is the idea that, listen, I am saying to you that I am willing to be cut in half, separated from my life if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. I wonder if we had that idea of covenant, if we would take a little more time to reflect before we entered into some covenant relationships. Here in our culture. I mean, if we understood that when we stood at the altar in front of our friends and family to say, I'll love you for better or worse, for richer or poor, till death do us part, right? 
I'm saying if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, if I neglect the covenant, it would be better that my life is separated from me, that I be cut in half if I don't hold the covenant relationship sacred that we made to one another. Some of us, we enter into covenant relationships and we just say, well, this is like any other conditional relationship that we're a part of. I'm in it as long as it continues to serve or meet the basic need that it started out meeting or serving. And whenever that condition changes, I get to get out because you quit doing what you said you were going to do. You quit making me feel the way that you made me feel initially, and so I'm out. And there's this conditional idea of relationship, and we've lost the sacredness of covenant in our culture. But not only is this two people making a covenant right here in Genesis 15, this is Abram entering into a covenant with God. And God's the one that initiated the covenant. And not only that, God is saying, I am putting myself on the line to keep the covenant. He's saying, Abram, you cut the animals in half and you lay them out. And then the image, the power of God, the blazing towards the smoking fire pot, that is God. That is his presence. There in that moment, on that place, going between the split animals. God's saying, I am swearing by myself that I will keep this covenant with you, Abram. I'm putting me on the line here. I'm saying it would be better for me, Jehovah God, not to exist if I betray what I am promising to you right now. It puts into a new perspective. Covenant and God's intent to bless his people. So God is saying, listen, I am on the hook here. I'm on the line. And I am going to keep my word. Bottom line of the last 11 minutes, if you got lost, here's the bottom line. God keeps his promises. No matter what it looks like, no matter if you're in the midst of 400 years of mistreatment and enslavement, if you have any ability to look back and hear the words of God, In his conversation with Abram, you can know that these 400 years will not last forever. That there will come a day when you will come out. And you will actually be better than you were when you went in. God keeps his promises. So briefly, let's jump back now and see a little bit of Abram's response here. We read verse 9 and 10. Let's read it again. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Verse 11, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. You ever held something kind of really special in your heart that you believe God was going to bring to pass? And you ever had anything try to fight against that? You ever had any anything to war against your belief that God was who he said he was? You ever had anything, anybody try to convince you that what you believed wasn't real? You ever had anybody that tried to bring about disbelief, unbelief in your life? You ever had moments or people in your life that would try to breed in you fear, anxiety, worry, disobedience, 
or reliance on yourself to bring to pass all the things that God promised that he would bring to pass? That's birds of prey. Birds of prey are tools of the enemy to distract and rob us of the covenant blessing that God has promised. Birds of prey. Fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, unbelief, disobedience, self-reliance, and a million other things that distract us or rob us from holding to the promises of God. They're tools of the enemy and what I know to be true because it's been true in my life and I'm assuming in yours is that in some, time, some instances of our lives, we're not like Abram and we don't drive them away. We allow them to come in and take the pieces of the covenant and run away with them. And some of you know what that looks like. You know what that feels like? You, you, you've held to the promises of God, but when it didn't happen like you thought, when it didn't play out like you thought it would, I mean, you just, you, you thought it was going to be like boom, 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 and then it was like boom, and then six years went by and nothing happened, and you're like, wow, that's not going to happen. I don't, I don't really think it's going to happen. Somewhere we got off, and I guess it's just not going to come to pass, and so you just gave up. You didn't drive that doubt away. You didn't drive the unbelief away. You didn't drive the fear away. You didn't understand how all the pieces played together. So you lost the ability to truly kind of just authentically sing, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my life. And instead you were kind of left with saying, God, I trust you kind of. I want to trust you, Jesus. I want to trust you with my life, but I can't figure out how it all makes sense. The story isn't like I wrote it. It isn't how I dreamed it up to be. And so instead of driving them away, we're left with very little of the covenant remaining. Because we didn't drive them away. I want the band to come. There are five major covenants in the Bible. Five major covenants. There's a bunch of other things, and there's a whole thing called covenant theology, if you even look that up on Google or something. But there's five major covenants. I want to hit these real quick. There's the covenant that God made with Noah after the flood when he says, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore. He says, I'm going to give you a rainbow as a sign that I'm going to keep my end of the covenant. There was the covenant he made with Abraham. We've talked about that the last two weeks, really. There's the covenant he made with Moses when he gave Moses the law, and he was helping to establish a people. He gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him the Levitical law so that it would help to establish the people there. And he said, this is not a forever law, right? There was the covenant he made with David when he said, your line, your lineage will be what I use to, to bring about the reign over Israel. I, I will, will rule and reign from your line. This was obviously fulfilled through Jesus Christ, who in Matthew chapter 1, we see that he came from Jesus. The, the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1 said he came from the line of David. And then there was a fifth covenant. The fifth covenant was the covenant found through Jesus Christ. It was the covenant found through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that confirmed that he was the son of God and that his blood that was shed on the cross was available to all of us. 
And I want us to look here at Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus with his closest followers. We, we took communion two weeks ago in our service, at the end of the service. I want us to look at this passage. This comes out of that moment where Jesus is with his closest followers. He's already taken the bread and he's already eaten the bread with his followers. And this is what he says in verse 27 of Matthew 26. He says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The new covenant. Hebrews chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Throughout those chapters of Hebrews, we see that the new covenant came. Jesus came. His death came. The blood of that covenant came to abolish the old covenant, the covenant with Moses, the law. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. We didn't need the law any longer. It was fulfilled through the grace and truth that Jesus brought the Father's message to earth. And so he dies on a cross. Now, if you go back to the story of Abram, you see that God told Abram, listen, your people are going to be in captivity for 400 years. This is not going to make sense in the way that you think the covenant's going to play out. And if, if the Jews understood anything and they understood and they thought that they knew that Jesus was going to be the king to come on earth and rule and reign, when he goes to the cross, they've got to be confused. Like, this is not the way I thought covenant would play out, God. Like, if Jesus is who you said he was, then why is he hanging there? And why is he dead? And why are they taking his body to a tomb? Like, I don't understand how this works. Except that Jesus had told those disciples just a couple days before. My blood is the new covenant. Like if I don't go to the cross, if I don't die, if my blood isn't spilled, then you can't have, as Hebrew calls it, a forgiveness once for all times. You're going to have to keep kind of hanging in the law of Moses and you're going to have to ask forgiveness every single year on the day that you made the mistake and bring a new sacrifice. And Jesus said, no, 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 there's no need for that anymore. I am the sacrifice. I'm hanging on a cross. My blood is spilled as the new covenant. You know what it is? It's God walking between the sacrifice, saying, I'm keeping my end of the bargain. Like, I'm in. It's my son that's hanging there. I'm in. And you and I, man, we, I want to be in. I want to be in on the covenant. I, I want to receive the covenant blessing. I want to have relationship with God. I want to be about his purpose. I want to be about his provision. I want to be about his people. But sometimes when I'm looking at Jesus on the cross, thinking he's going to be a literal king on earth, I can't put the pieces together. Sometimes if I'm Abram and I'm thinking, man, God's going to establish a nation in and through me, but I don't have a son yet. It doesn't make sense. We say, yeah, I've got a nation, I've got, I've got some sons, and I've got some people that are coming, and now like we're supposed to be a nation with a land, but we don't have a land. We're in captivity for 400 years. We're enslaved. It doesn't make any sense. The only thing that we can hold to in that moment is that God said, I will keep my promise. I'm putting myself on the line here. And then you and I are left to live every day knowing that birds of prey, tools of
tools of the enemy are coming against us to try to bring about in us fear, doubt, and unbelief, and worry, and anxiety, and disobedience, and a reliance on ourselves that says, man, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because i got to work harder. i got to make this happen on my own. Birds of prey. Tools of the enemy to steal the pieces of God's covenant blessing relationship from you and from me. And I know we have gone all around the world with this message, okay? I told Justin this morning, I, I feel like I've wrestled with this one as much as just about anyone I've ever, I've ever preached here. But here's, here's the realities. Here's the truths that I know. God desires to bless us. He desires to have relationship with us and give us an eternal purpose and provision and people to do life with for his purposes. I know that. He promises us that. I know that not only that, but he has sworn by himself to keep up his end of the deal. He said, I'm on the line here. I'm on the hook and I will keep my promise. And I know for most of us in the room that we desire to be a part of that promise. That we want to do the things that will bring about God's fulfillment and the promises in our lives. We want to have relationship with God and we want like purpose. We don't want to just wander around trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with our life. We want purpose for life. We want provision. We want God to provide what we need. We want people and relationships because it's not good for man to be alone. It never has been. It never will be. And some of us are just kind of squandering all that away because we have refused to fight off the birds of prey. So I know we had an altar moment at the beginning of service and I told our team earlier, this is kind of new for us to do it twice in one service, but we're going to open the altars. The band's going to lead us in a song. You can come and pray for anything. I mean, I, I can give you specifics. Hey, this is what we're praying about today. And you can, you can come even if you don't connect to that. Whatever you want to pray about, you can come. But let me just tell you kind of where I feel like the Lord's leading us. And over the last like 24 hours, I've just felt this so strongly. I feel like, man, there's some of us in this room. We are fighting with everything we are to try to fight off the enemy. We got things fighting against us to kind of bring about doubt and unbelief and worry and anxiety and fear. Bring about uncertainty. Bring about disobedience. We're just the, the temptations, the things that are there, which we'll talk about a little bit next week. But just, I mean, the enemy just constantly pulling at us. Why would he do that? Because he knows that the covenant that God has for us, we will be better on the other side than we are going in the words of God. So I want everybody just to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. I want to ask our altar ministry team if they would come back to the front. The band's going to lead us in a worship chorus and if you don't feel like you're supposed to respond in this moment, that's okay. You can just sit right there and just sing and worship and pray for the people that do. We're going to pray here in just a moment and we're just going to open these altars and allow for anyone who chooses to respond to come. God, I am praying right now for every person in this room that the enemy is trying to destroy 
enemy's trying to breed in them fear and worry and doubt and anxiety and disobedience and disbelief and self-reliance. God, would you help them to zoom out of the one or two things in their life that they can't make sense of so that they can focus on you, the keeper of the promises, the initiator of covenant blessing. God, I pray right now that when we open these altars that you would give them strength to stand up and to respond. The sacredness is not in standing up and moving. It's just joining together with someone else, opening up their heart, allowing someone to pray with them and speak into their lives. And so, God, I pray right now for the courage to do that. God, I believe, I've prayed, I've had people praying all day that your power, your spirit would be at work in this room. And that no matter what I was trying to say, trying to communicate that I believe was from you, that you would be doing the work. So, God, now in this moment, would you continue that work and would you bring about healing restoration in our lives. God, where there is disbelief, would you put our trust in you fully and completely? Where we feel unloved or unlovable because of the things people have said or the tools and tactics of the enemy, God, would you help us afresh and anew today to experience your love, a love that never fails. Where there's uncertainty, God, would you just give us belief? a sense of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the band sings, I encourage you, if you want to pray, to come forward today.